At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. We are going to be continuing this morning our series from Matthew chapters 18 through 20, a series that we began a number of weeks ago, and we have called it Relating To, because it's in these verses that, that Jesus provides some instruction for how his followers are to relate to a number of significant things in their life. How do we relate to our children or to temptation to those who have lost their way, to those who have wronged us. Last week, we even looked at what Jesus instructed us concerning our our spouse. Well, today, we're going to continue this study by looking at what Jesus says about how we can relate to eternal life. And we're going to see that in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Now, as we begin this study and we begin talking about eternal life, we, we need to just acknowledge that Humanity has been searching for paradise from the very beginning. I mean, you think about explorers in history, went to new continents looking for the city of gold. Story writers for, for, for centuries have been talking about finding the, the fountain of youth. I mean, Indiana Jones, an example of that, looking for such things. Even we think of our technology or our medical advancements, oftentimes we're trying to prolong life or make life better in some way. Deep inside of each of us is a desire for paradise. But how do we get there? And is it real? Is it something we could experience? I think the reason why we we have these questions is because paradise is where we began. Not necessarily you and I, but humanity as a creation was placed inside of paradise in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered the world, we were kicked out of that place. But is it possible for us to return? Is it possible for us to have a relationship with God again where we could talk to him as Adam and Eve did in the cool of the day? Is it possible for us to to know that when we leave this earth that our eternity could be secure and we could be in the presence of God forever? How is it that we relate to eternal life? And when we think about who is really authorized to answer that question, it would, t- it would be someone who sits outside of us. A finite person cannot answer an eternal question. If we are to accurately understand how eternal life could be related to by you and me, it would take someone from eternity to communicate to us about it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone in eternity would communicate to us about eternal life in such a way that we could find out about it? It could be preserved. We could go back and read it and look at it again. Wouldn't it be amazing if the one who was there at the very beginning who created everything, wouldn't it be amazing if that one was available to tell us the way to eternal life? Well, friends, guess what? We're in luck. Because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has existed eternally. And that Jesus Christ, he he came to the earth and he was asked a question about eternal life that he answered directly. And it was preserved for us in Matthew chapter 19. So this morning when we turn to these pages, it's going to provide an answer to a question that all of humanity has had for centuries and millennia but is answered definitively by one from eternity who communicates to us 
in the present about how we might spend an eternity with God. Let's take a look at it together as we look at how we can relate to eternal life from Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. Now, in these verses, we see Jesus having a conversation with a a rich young man. Uh, This story is told in in Matthew, in Mark, and in Luke. And if we combine all of the details of those three accounts, we find out that this conversation is with a rich young ruler, probably a rich young leader of a synagogue, a place of worship in the Jewish community. When that conversation, it's recorded for us here in verse 16. It says, Behold, a man came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the young man said to him, all of these I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and we have followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel." And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Now, friends, in these verses and in this conversation between Jesus and the rich young man, we find something out about how you and I can relate to eternal life. We're going to organize our study of these verses today by looking at five questions that were asked inside of this passage and using them as somewhat of an outline for us to make sense of what is happening in this conversation between Jesus and the rich young man. The first question I want us to look at is this. It's the question that the rich young man asked of Jesus as he came up to him. He says, what good deeds must I do to have eternal life? He just comes up to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, I want to know. I believe that there is an eternal life that is available. And I want to know what must I do in order to possess it? What must I do to to grab onto that promise? 
What must I do to gain entry into the place that Adam and Eve were kicked out of? What must I do to go to heaven? He asks Jesus this question. Now, what was he asking? Ultimately, he was asking about eternal life. And this phrase, eternal life, is a really interesting phrase because when we say eternal, we think mostly of a time frame, don't we? We think of eternity as forever and ever and ever, and it is. But what's fascinating is when eternal life is used in the New Testament, it's used 50 times, that phrase. But it, it often refers not to a length of time, but to a quality of time. A, a quality of life is really what he's asking about. How is it that I have life to the full? And, and this, it's appropriate that he would ask Jesus this question because Jesus had talked about this previously to his followers. Jesus had said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and you may have it abundantly. In John 17, a little later on in the story, Jesus will talk and, and pray to his disciples and he says, and this is eternal life, that you would know God and Jesus whom has been sent. You see, Jesus was talking about and thinking about a quality of life. And I think certainly as the rich young man comes to Jesus, he is asking about paradise. He's asking not just about a length of days, but a quality of days. He wants to know, how is it I can connect to your absolute best? How is it that I can connect to the absolute best that God has? What is the secret? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to possess it? That's the question that he was asking. Now, as he asked that question, Jesus begins his response in an interesting way. He begins to evaluate the words that the man uses. Again, if we look at Mark and Luke in their parallel accounts of this passage, we see that they not only did this man ask what good deed needed to be done, but he also called Jesus a good teacher. He says, good teacher, what good deed must I do? Well, all this talk about good gets Jesus thinking an opportunity exists. And that opportunity is to focus the rich young man beyond his own world to the God who created him. And he, Jesus says to the man, hey, you talk a lot about things that are good, and why are you talking about those things with me? Because there's only one who is good, meaning God himself. What I think Jesus was, was saying here to the rich young man was he was wanting to, to focus his attention away from who he was to who Jesus was. It was a hint to how ultimately the question would be most appropriately answered later on. The rich young man doesn't seem to acknowledge that statement that Jesus makes, though, indicating that maybe he didn't quite get it at this point. And so Jesus then responds and begins to teach the man, and he says, well, why don't you keep the commandments? Why don't you keep the commandments? Now, why is it that Jesus would say, keep the commandments? Was he saying this because he believed it was possible for the rich young man to be good enough on the basis of the commandments in order to inherit eternal life. I don't think that was it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 20 says, On the works of the law, no person can be saved. 
Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24 talks about how the purpose of the law is to reveal our brokenness and our fallenness to show us our need for Christ. And so what I think Jesus was doing as he says keep the commandments is he's beginning to just let the man know through a process of self-discovery that maybe he's not in a position to do something to inherit or to gain or to have eternal life. He says, keep the commandments. Before we go on and see the rest of the story, I want to just ask you, if somebody came up to you this morning and said, what must I do to have eternal life, how would you answer the question? The question comes to Jesus, and he begins the response. Well, after that initial part of the dialogue, the very next thing that happens is the rich young man says back to Jesus, well, which ones? You want me to obey the commandments, which ones do you want me to obey? It's as if he understood the the answer that Jesus gave this way. In order to inherit eternal life, I need to be good. Okay, what does it mean to be good? And how good is good enough? The young man, it seems to be asking. Well, Jesus takes this as an opportunity, and he begins to list out a number of commands. He begins to walk his way through, really, the second half of the Ten Commandments. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Now, in in that regard, he's walking in order through the Ten Commandments. But then when he gets to verse 19, he goes back and picks up an earlier commandment when he says, and you're to honor your father and your mother. And the, the question is, did Jesus forget it? Jesus go, I'm going to start, you know, with commandment six, and I'll work. Oh, I forgot commandment five. Let me slide back up and grab that one. Did he forget? No, I think what Jesus was doing is he began with commandments that the guy would go, yep, I'm good there, good there, good there, good there. Honor father and mother, mostly good maybe. And then he concludes with the great commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. See, Jesus begins to to walk through these commandments in a cascading kind of a way, reminding this man of his need. But it seems as though the man didn't quite get it, right? You shall not commit murder. And he goes, well, haven't done that. I'm all good. But if we remember what Jesus said about murder in other spots, he talked about anger. And if our anger against another arises to a certain point, we've committed murder in our heart. I don't think that the young man was thinking quite about that. Next thing that Jesus said, you you shall not commit adultery. And the young man might have thought, haven't done that. But if we remember when Jesus talked about adultery in the Sermon on the Mount, he said that if any man or woman lusts after someone not their spouse, they've committed adultery in their own heart. I'm not sure he was thinking quite about that. He says, you shall not steal. And the man probably thought, well, I'm, I'm good there. I, I have never stolen anything, at least anything significant. But again, when we think about our heart attitudes and our longings for things that aren't ours, possibly he had committed that sin in his heart. You sure not bear false witness? Well, I tell the truth most of the time on the important stuff, but 
Is there a spirit and life of truthfulness and integrity that permeated this man's existence? We, we don't really know, but knowing ourselves and knowing the fallen nature of humanity, it's quite possible he had actually, in fact, broken all of these commandments that he said he had achieved. We get down to honoring father and mother and loving neighbor as self. Those are two massive commands that Jesus arranges at the end, probably the the point of the spear of the things that he struggles with. Jesus is walking him through a process to demonstrate not what he must do to be saved, but to demonstrate his need to be saved. The question for us is, have you walked in here this morning aware of your need to be saved? For many of us, we had become aware of that at a previous time. We're trusting in Christ for salvation. We know the answer to this situation ultimately. But for others in the room, I believe you've walked in here today. When the question comes up, what, what, what must we do to inherit eternal life? You take out your pen. You're ready to write down the answer because you want to get it. If you ask that question of Jesus, I think he would walk you through a series of questions that would demonstrate No matter what we do, it's not enough. A perfect God is separated from sinful people. After asking which ones, and the man seemingly thinks, okay, I've I've done those things, the third question comes in verse 20. As the young man says to Jesus, "I've, I've kept all of these, but you can almost sense there's a haunting sense inside of his soul where he goes, okay, but... Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not quite there. I can see something in your eyes, Jesus, that even though I'm answering that I've done those, I get a sense that maybe I'm a little bit short. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody? Maybe you were taking a test and you begin to describe your answer and you can tell on the face of the one you're talking to that maybe you're not quite there. And so you keep talking, hoping that eventually maybe you'll get to the, the right answer. Happens to be every Sunday between 10.15 and 10.45. What was Jesus thinking, though? Mark's parallel account of this, this conversation tells us that Jesus had great love for this man. Jesus was not asking these questions to humiliate him. He was asking these questions to help show him the true way, the true path to eternal life. Jesus loved him, and so he's asking, as as the man asks this question, what do I still lack? Jesus gives him the answer. He says, well, if you would be perfect, if you would be complete, if you want your resume to, to look right, he says, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Now, the question we ought to ask is, where does that command reside in the Old Testament? I mean, all of the other commands that Jesus had just gone over, all were Old Testament commands. He, he's dealing with the, the, the accepted playbook up to this point. Here, Jesus begins to talk about giving away all that we have, and the question is, well, where did he get that? The answer is it's not found in the Old Testament. It's not, there's, there's not a, a precedent exactly like this. 
And I don't think that Jesus was saying this, contrary to what some may want to do with this passage, I don't think he was saying this because there were poor people who had needs. There there were poor people who had needs. But this was not a statement that was made based on the needs of others. This was a conversation about the needs of the rich young man. Jesus loved him, and he looked at him, and he wanted to lead him into a place where he would truly have eternal life, where he would be with him forever. That's the the desire. That's the objective. And yet Jesus knew that this man, in his own self-reliance and in his own pride, was, was simply not going to get there. And so Jesus makes this statement about selling all and giving to the poor and, and following him, not because the poor needed stuff. He says this because Jesus understands this man has a competing allegiance in his life. This man had a, a second God, a co-God. That, that co-God was his wealth. It was his stuff. His wealth and his stuff were, were representatives of his own self-reliance. Jesus looks at this and says, if you want to have eternal life, there's no co-pilot on that plane. If, if you want eternal life, then you need to walk away from your self-reliance and follow me alone as God. Remember how he began, who is good but God alone? And he concludes by saying, follow me. Jesus was saying, the only hope that you have is to stick with me. But I don't want you to follow me with a co-pilot. I want you to follow me alone. That's what Jesus says. Now here's the question. What is competing for your allegiance with God? What, what is it? What's the co-pilot in your life? God plus my family. God plus my stuff. God plus my reputation. See, when we, we come to God, God plus my, my morality. When we come to God and think that we can improve our standing or we have this competing God in our life, you know what God says? God says, you know what? I will share the captain's seat of your life with no one else. Jesus, his title is most often called what? Lord. What does Lord mean? Lord means the one in authority over our lives. Jesus Here says to the rich young man, if you want to be connected with me, if you want to have eternal life, then then come to me, walk away from the things that are preventing you from coming to me, and come to me. Now, we don't know what would have happened if this man said, okay, I'll do it. Would Jesus have actually had him sell all of his stuff and follow him, or would he have done what he did with Abraham and Isaac and say, You can keep your stuff, but know where this fits. We don't know for sure. What we know is that Jesus was calling out his ultimate allegiance, and that comes to us. Where is our ultimate allegiance found? Who is our God, and who are we tempted to allow share that place of ultimate authority in our lives? 
Jesus makes that statement in response to the question, what do I still lack? Well, after, after making that statement, it's interesting what happens next. The rich young man goes away. He goes away sorrowful because he was unwilling to follow Jesus in that way. We don't know what the rest of the story is with him, but we know at least in this moment that he walked away from Christ. The next thing that happens is that the disciples who were left, having witnessed this conversation, begin to to, to wonder what in the world is going on. And their, their wonder goes something like this. If that guy can't be saved, then who can be saved? I mean, remember, this was the rich, young leader of the synagogue. This was the popular, young pastor. This was the one who had morality that was evident to people so that he could say in public without people laughing in the background that I have kept all of those commandments. They're watching this thing unfold and they say, Jesus, if that guy can't be saved on the basis of what he has done, then who could be saved? And so Jesus tells them the story about the camel. He says, it's only with great difficulty that a rich person will enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, people have tried to make sense of this camel through a needle by trying to make it say things that are somehow possible, like it's the camel fitting through a gate into the city or something like that. I don't think that's at all what Jesus had in mind. I think he wanted it as stark and as difficult as it sounds to us as we read it in English. It is easier for a camel, humps and all, to go through the eye of a needle. It is easier for a camel of a rich person loaded down with all of their stuff coming back from market, humps and all, to go through an eye of a needle. It's easier for that to happen than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. This would have rocked their world because they were in a world that believed that the rich were blessed by God. you got to be kidding me, Jesus. The, The rich can't enter the kingdom of heaven? I mean, if they can't, then... Who can? Jesus was just waiting for them to ask, to ask that question, I think. And he was like, finally, you're asking the right question. Who then can be saved? The answer is, if it's on the basis of you, no one. But he says, on the basis of me, anything is possible. If you are here today, and you have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ that has the hope of eternity on the basis not of your works, but on the basis of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, guess what? You are living proof that a camel, humps and all, can fit through the eye of a needle. Because it is impossible for us to be good enough for a holy God, but it is totally possible for a holy God to provide a substitute and a sacrifice for our sins so that we could be forgiven. It is totally possible for a holy God to make a provision for us, to declare us righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done and to invite us to spend an eternity with him. It is totally possible for those things to happen, friends, but it's not gonna happen because of us. It happens because of him. 
Jesus wanted the disciples to be absolutely clear of where their hope for eternity is found. Not in them, but in him. As you sit here today and you think about answering that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You think about the commands that God has laid out for us. We, we think about what we still lack, which is significant. Are you going to cling to your resume before the Lord and say, you, please let me into heaven on the basis of me? Or are you willing to recognize, as Jesus wanted us to recognize, that our hope is found not in us, but in him? Are you willing to trust him and to embrace him today on the basis of that? That's who can be saved, those who are in Christ, those for whom God has done the work that we embrace by faith. Well, the last question that's asked then comes from, from Peter. When he, when he hears this unfolding and he thinks about the rich young man, he Peter says in verses 27 and following, he says, see, we've left everything and we've followed you. And the question then comes, what then will we have? Peter asks this question and we kind of shake our head because it's Peter, right? But Peter is asking a question based in his reality. Peter had left a lot to follow Jesus. Remember, they left their fishing business. They, they followed him wherever he went. They were spending nights and days even away from their family as they were out following him on this, this mission and this journey. They were tired. They didn't know exactly where it was all headed. Peter says, we've, we've done what the rich young man didn't do, so is it going to be worth it? Jesus has compassion on Peter just as he had compassion on the other man, and he, he begins to let him know something. He says, hey, Peter, guess what? It's worth it. Not only is it worth it now, you get to walk with the Son of God, but it's worth it later when I come back, Jesus says, and I establish my kingdom upon the earth, you will be right there with me and will be involved in the very works that I'm doing here upon the earth. Peter, it is, it is going to be worth it. And the same thing could be said of us. If we think about our lives and following Christ, and we think about walking away from the, the co-gods that we want to attach to our lives and following Christ alone, and we think about that, that sure looks like I would lose a lot. Is it worth it? Jesus here says it's absolutely worth it, but you need to have a perspective and a range of, of, of thought that goes way beyond just thinking about today. Jesus says, in, in, in eternity, when I come back in my kingdom to this earth, authority rests in me, and I will give you responsibility then, and you'll be rewarded then, he says, up to a hundredfold. It's worth it to follow me. Friends, it's worth it. It's worth it for us to, to ha possess eternal life, to, to be forgiven and to be with the Lord forever. But being with him forever is not just sitting on a cloud. It's being in his service forever. Unshackled by the sin and that dominates this world in which we live, in his presence serving him forever. 
Jesus wants the disciples and the rich young man to know that it's worth it for us to follow him, whatever the cost. And you and I who sit here today, separated 2,000 years by this story, need to be reminded of that truth as well. So I want you just to bow your head. As our worship team comes to close us in song, I, I want to just, just reflect for a moment and for, to have us pray. And I want us just to think for a moment about our lives. And I want you to think for a moment, are you trusting in your resume for your connection with God or are you trusting in, in what he can do for us in Christ? If we're trusting in our resume, just take this moment and just turn away from that as you follow Christ as your only hope of eternity. Just take a moment and confess that to him. Father, thank you that it is worth it for us to turn away from us and to follow you. Thank you for the provision of eternal life, and thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you that you have done for us what is impossible for us to accomplish on our own. It inspires us to do as Peter and the disciples did, to surrender all, and to lay down our lives before you. In Jesus' name, amen.